surgical slowdown. This week, two operating rooms uh, are down in order to respond to the staffing challenges. The high number of workers now off the job and holding up health care. Big problems at a Halloween party. What party? The Saturday bash at a swanky address. And why the homeowner says it wasn't his fault. And a bold move to cut toxic drug deaths. It's time to move drug use away from a law enforcement model to a health-centered model. BC takes an historic step towards decriminalization. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. 20 months into the COVID-19 pandemic and the strain on BC's healthcare system keeps growing. Hospitals across much of the province are under pressure due to ongoing high COVID case numbers and the sudden loss of more than 3,000 workers who are now on unpaid leave because they've refused vaccination. Richard Zussman reports on the consequences for the rest of us. They have been on the front lines of the fight against COVID-19. Now, healthcare workers refusing to get vaccinated on the sidelines. Not recognizing the important uh, importance of vaccination, then uh, this is probably not the right profession for them, to be frank. Pressure on the system mounting. The province putting on unpaid leave 3,325 workers because they haven't received that shot, making up 2.6% of the workforce. Nowhere is that pressure greater than Interior Health, where more than 1,000 workers are not immunized, compared to 587 healthcare workers in the much larger Fraser Health and 320 healthcare workers in Northern, the smallest health authority. Kelowna General Hospital reducing operating hours in two operating rooms to compensate for missing unvaccinated staff. Royal Inland Hospital replacing overnight surgeries with day surgeries. None of this is desirable, it's necessary. And Interior Health and all of the staff, Interior Health in particular, are doing an excellent job in responding to these circumstances. It is not just unvaccinated workers. Overall cases and staff exhaustion has led to many hospitals across BC reducing service. Abbotsford Hospital and Royal Columbian reducing hours in one operating room. At Abbotsford Regional, the focus now just on same-day surgeries. Richmond Hospital and Mount St. Joseph have also reduced one operating room due to system pressure. Lionsgate, two operating rooms, and St. Paul's Hospital, three. Plans are in place to resume surgeries in these operating rooms beginning in the new year at Richmond Hospital and uh, in February at St. Paul's, Lionsgate, and Mount St. Joseph's. Royal Jubilee Hospital has one operating room with reduced hours as well. All of that because of overall pressure on the healthcare system. And ultimately, this message from provincial health to those healthcare workers who choose not to get the shot. If now is not the time that you start to believe in the importance and the value of vaccination in protecting people, then I don't know when is. This, as time also runs out on those fighting for their lives in hospital against COVID-19. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's take a look at the numbers. And again, three days of COVID-19 numbers to share with you now. We have 1,370 new cases and 4,668 active cases. 436 people are in hospital. 140 of those patients is in the ICU. There have been 25 more deaths and 85.2% of British Columbians are now fully vaccinated. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the next big mandate coming up. Mm. Keith, 
Public service employees need to have at least one dose by November 22nd. Yeah, it covers a lot of people, Chris. So the vaccination mandates are growing in scope and size. We've been reporting that for some time. There's no end in sight for a number of them. Municipalities, school boards are looking at them. But the provincial government has theirs on November 22nd. So as of November 22nd, provincial employees covered under the Public Service Act must have at least one dose or they're going to be placed on a three-month unpaid leave. Those with one dose have 35 days to get the second dose. We're approximately 30,000 people affected everywhere, everyone from civil servants, people who work for government commissions, agency workers, people who work for boards and such, and unvaccinated employees, if they want to stick to that status, they face potential termination, a point strongly made by Health Minister Adrian Dix today. Employees who are still unvaccinated after the three-month unpaid leave may be terminated. This is a necessary step to support vaccination and help protect all our workplaces and communities from COVID-19. So the vaccination rate amongst public service workers is probably very, very high. Most of them live here in the capital region where the first dose vaccination rate is well in excess of 90 percent. Some communities having 95 percent. So I think ultimately, at the end of the day, the number of people unvaccinated in uh, the civil service is likely to mirror that. Somewhat what we're seeing in health around two to three percent. But November 22nd looms large. It sure does. OK, thanks, Keith. Now, as we learn more about the province's plan to provide booster doses for everyone, there is a growing number of experts studying whether those shots will even be necessary for most British Columbians. As Aaron MacArthur reports, much of the research revolves around the duration between people's first two doses. On Monday, more than 80,000 people have been added to the list, now eligible for a third shot. Anyone who received Two doses of AstraZeneca can now get a booster six months after their second shot. For people who've had two doses of AstraZeneca, there's been um, the, the protection against infection is not as high as people who've received even one dose of uh, mRNA vaccine. The news comes as more people are questioning the need for that third shot at all. While studies in Israel point to stellar protection, Research in Canada has shown how effective two shots are when spaced out by more than eight weeks. Early result from a study of paramedics across the country show the longer the delay in getting that second shot, the better the protection. The interaction between vaccine dosing intervals may play a role in the timing and need for third vaccines. Other researchers, including Dr. Danuta Skoronsky at the BC Centre for Disease Control, say the immune response from two shots spaced out is so robust that most healthy adults don't need a booster yet. Since the beginning, we had focused on the uh, importance of preventing hospitalizations and deaths. Well, to change that focus uh, might be... Uh, uh, clearly something that has to be uh, evaluated quite carefully. We need to do both. We need to be able to be part of our global community and make sure people around the world are vaccinated. And we need to protect those people who need it right now. The science is changing on waning immunity and the need for a booster seemingly every week. BC's plan to get everyone a third shot still remains a possibility, but it won't be rolled out until at least the new year. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. TransLink has an enticing offer to get more people to use public transit. Riders get an entry into the tap-in to win sweepstakes every time they use their registered Compass card to swipe into the system. 
You could win electric bikes, dine-out packages, even flight vouchers. Every month for the next five months, winners will be chosen at random. We really just want to launch this contest to say thank you to the customers that have really stuck with us for the last 20 months of the pandemic and also to encourage new riders to say it's time to come back to transit. We're a safe option and the more you tap, the more you take transit, the chances you, uh, the more chances you have to win some pretty amazing prizes. And it's important you register your card online. Ridership plunged when the pandemic hit, falling to just 17% of pre-pandemic levels in April 2020. It's now climbed back up above 55%. Well, Halloween was busy for emergency responders overall, but one party in particular required a lot of police resources on Saturday night. It happened at the multi-million dollar mansion belonging to Manji and David Sidhu. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, their son says the party was actually hosted by someone who rented the property. It's one of the priciest homes in B.C., 4773 Belmont is assessed at more than $30 million. Saturday night, it was the scene of a massive party with an estimated 200 people in attendance. Police were called three times. Paramedics were also called after some people lost consciousness. Yes, we had a report of two people unconscious, whether it be alcohol or drugs. And so VPD officers attended to um, assist paramedics uh, as it was deemed unsafe for paramedics to enter. So we had seven officers, six patrol officers and a sergeant uh, attend to that call. The homeowners are David and Manji Sidhu. David made headlines last year after being handed a three-month jail sentence in the U.S. college admission scandal, which involved him paying someone $200,000 U.S. to take exams for his two sons. We caught up with David Sidhu Monday afternoon, and he indicated he knew nothing about the party. Hey, David, can you tell us anything about the party? What party? At your house. Later, David Sidhu's son Jordan phoned Global News. He said their property had been rented to Soul Vodka that night. Soul Vodka is confirming the rental agreement, although cost isn't being disclosed. First responders, on the other hand, say the huge party cost them resources. Resources that are already in short supply. It was a very busy night, so a call of this nature does take up uh, a lot of resources and a lot of time. Jordan Sidhu says the party was not what he expected, and he probably wouldn't let anyone else host a party there again. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, if you were hoping a fireworks ban in most parts of Metro Vancouver this year would lead to a quieter Halloween, you were likely disappointed. Despite threats of hefty fines, the explosions continued well into the night in some neighborhoods. And as John Waugh reports, love them or hate them, critics say the current rules are not working. It was a night filled with scary masks and no shortage of creepy clowns. One of the most popular things to go as this Halloween. People who didn't get the memo about a fireworks ban in Vancouver. The city of Vancouver does have uh, bylaw officers who, who are uh, in place. And my understanding is there were bylaw officers who were working uh, throughout the Halloween weekend. Looking at the sky over the city on Sunday night, it doesn't seem many took Vancouver's ban on the sale and use of fireworks or the threat of up to a $1,000 fine very seriously. And this is one of the reasons I couldn't support uh, the ban. In fact, uh, I, 
I'd say that my, my jack-o'-lantern might have had more teeth than this band did. On social media, there are plenty of posts of people lighting things up late into the night. I think it's unfair to uh, promise the public that there's going to be a ban, but do so without any resources or enforcement. In other cities where bans on the sale of fireworks is not new, like Richmond and Langley, the same display of disobedience. Surrey issued six tickets worth $860 just to put a dent in the pyrotechnics. Things took a frightening turn for this Burnaby family when a hedge caught fire on Halloween, the only night that city allows low-hazard fireworks without a permit. If it didn't get contained quickly, it, it certainly could have uh, set the building on fire as well as some much taller trees that are at the end of the hedge. For pet owners... The patchwork approach leaving many animals like Jade in a complete panic. So I had to drug my dog overnight. That's not something you want to do is to keep your dog calm and that doesn't always work. BC SPCA is petitioning the Canadian government to institute a nationwide ban on selling, buying and possessing fireworks for personal use. Because it's confusing. You move from one area to another, you don't know what the rules are. So this Halloween, perhaps the greatest prank was getting the general public to believe. A fireworks ban was actually something people would fear. John Hua, Global News. Collateral damage in the province's attempt to crack down on real estate speculators. A Richmond man stuck with a tax bill of more than $15,000 for living in the only home he owns. The strange quirk the province seems unwilling to correct. Next on the News Hour. Going a great distance to help our veterans. One man's run to remember coming up on the News Hour. And we all need a little zen in our lives. The new recruit helping officers cope in a high stress environment later. Right now, though, a Richmond retiree says he's become the unintended victim of BC speculation tax which is aimed at turning empty homes into housing. Grace Key tells us why the government says he owes $30,000, despite the fact he's lived in his home for more than 20 years. Tony Chan grew up in Vancouver, got married, and later raised his two sons in this Richmond townhome he bought 20 years ago. He's paid taxes in B.C. all his adult life. Now 64 years old, the retiree was shocked to get hit with a $15,000 a year bill and the province's speculation and vacancy tax. When I first got the letter, I thought, well, this is obviously there's been a mistake, so I'll just write them a letter and let them know that there's been an error. Here we are, almost two years later, and I'm still battling the government on this thing. The tax is set up to discourage housing speculation and vacant homes in urban areas. Most people are exempt. Those who aren't, normally foreign owners, Canadians living outside B.C., and satellite families. This is Tony's only property. He lives here full-time and is even on the Strata Council. But he got married in 2005. His wife lives and works in the States, making her the breadwinner, and the pair a satellite family. The home isn't even in her name and they don't have shared accounts. Clearly, I don't fall under the circle of what they were trying to achieve. Um, and I understand they're trying to uh, keep offshore people away from buying homes and driving up prices. Uh, I'm certainly not doing that. It's, it's clear. So it's not even a fine gray line. Is this the intent Again. of this task? 
again, you know, the intent of this tax is to make sure that we have more housing available for British Columbians. Uh, and the, the, the tax, you know, has has done, uh, I think, a tremendous job in making sure to deliver housing for British Columbians. And like with all taxes, we review to make sure that they continue to work and that they continue to deliver for British Columbians. Tony spent the last two years appealing the tax to no avail. He now owes $30,000 plus interest with another $15,000 bill for next year and fears he may be forced to sell the home he planned to live in with his wife. Which doesn't make any sense. I mean, selling my place, I would have to buy another place away from my entire family, which I've lived my entire life here. So it, it doesn't make any sense. Tony is still looking at different avenues to fight this. Grace Key, Global News. Family drama with a media giant hanging in the balance. Edward Rogers goes to court to keep control of the company that bears his father's name. Why some say he's likely to win next. But first, how supply chain issues mean Black Friday bargain hunting is going to be a lot different this year. Big delays over here at the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. A tow truck is on scene to a stalled semi southbound just past mid-span in the right lane. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge. Black Friday is just around the corner, but the unofficial start to the holiday season will look much different this year. The global supply chain crisis is expected to have a huge impact on what's available and for how much. Let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Ann Drua with more. Ann? Thanks, Sophie. Retailers say there will be deals this Black Friday, but many items, especially goods coming from overseas or have a semiconductor chip, will likely be in short supply, which means don't expect deep discounts. This Black Friday, door crasher deals may look a little different. The ongoing pandemic and global supply chain crisis is causing major delays getting goods to store shelves. Well, the potential impact is goods that we'd like to be selling uh, may not arrive in time. And also the quantity we'd like to have to allow us to reduce the prices may also be impacted. Clint Malman is the president and chief operating officer for London Drugs. He says when it comes to Black Friday deals, prepare yourself for an unprecedented shopping experience. You're going to see deals. They just may not be as broad of a selection as what we used to see. The situation so unpredictable, even advertising for Black Friday is a challenge. We may not be able to put the price just that it'll be available and the pricing will have to come at the, the last minute to be when we are certain in the quantities that we have. Labor shortages, traffic jams and pandemic related factory shutdowns are all contributing to the supply chain nightmare, making the situation worse, the semiconductor chip shortage. Some industry insiders say for electronics or anything with a chip, don't wait for the price to drop. My advice right now for consumers who want anything tech-related is buy it now. And with less supply, don't expect discounts on traditional Black Friday favorites. I've been talking with suppliers and retailers. Uh, containers right now that have products shipped over from Asia have gone up four to five times in costs. So again, that's going to be passed on to consumers. And that's even if you can get the product because it'll probably be sold out. Some of those products, the PS5 and the Xbox video game console. There are some really neat video games coming out. There's a new NBA uh, 2K22. There's a new Pokemon video game coming out uh, in the middle of, of November. Um, so there are some, some 
good things coming out. But if you're looking for a big ticket uh, video game console, even a TV, you might have trouble finding what you're looking for. Which means under the current challenges, the fact you actually got your hands on a hot ticket item might be the biggest Black Friday score of all. And one thing to add when it comes to having good ship to your home, retail experts say anything coming from overseas or across the border will likely take longer than usual. The problem is expected to get worse as shipping volume increases as more consumers shop for the holiday season. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. Well, the Rogers family battle for control of Canada's largest wireless company moved into a B.C. courtroom today. Global's Anne Gaviola has more on what's expected to be a long and expensive legal fight. The Rogers family drama already playing out in the court of public opinion is now before B.C.'s Supreme Court, which is where the telecom giant was incorporated. One corporate governance expert likens it to HBO's hit TV series, Succession, with a little Game of Thrones added to the mix. Somebody's going to lose their head because somebody in that show always seems to lose their head. And unfortunately, I think that may be Jonah Telly, the CEO, if in fact Edward Rogers is successful. Pop culture references notwithstanding, it will be up to BC's top court to decide who's in the right legally. Already, hundreds of court documents have been filed by both sides. The battle lines have been drawn, pitting Edward Rogers, son of the late founder Ted Rogers, against his mother and two sisters. After Edward's failed attempt to unseat CEO Joe Natale, he was fired as chair of the corporate board. But he remains chair of the family trust, which holds the lion's share of voting power. He used that position to appoint a new board with allies to tilt the balance of power in his favor. A board his mother and sisters, among others, call ill legitimate. I'm not sure how they're going to uh, uh, win. I mean, they may get it delayed saying, okay, you did it wrong procedurally, Mr. Rogers. You should have done it not by a private note. You should have gone to a formal shareholder meeting. But that doesn't diminish or remove his authority to vote those shares. If I was a betting person, I think Edward is going to win in court today. Well, what happens after that is, is up for debate. Even after a decision is reached, this process may be drawn out. Both sides have deep pockets and can appeal. In a recent tweet, Edward's sister Martha writes, we'll spend every penny defending the company, employees and Ted's wishes. Nothing you can do will deter us. Bring it on. The longer this drags on, the greater the potential for reputational damage. This as regulators decide whether or not to greenlight Rogers' $26 billion takeover of rival Shaw, its largest and arguably its most important acquisition ever. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. Coming up, BC's historic move to decriminalize drugs. This is a great start. This is a little crack of light in some very dark times. BC's next step in stopping the opioid crisis and some wondering if it's enough. But first, the devastating results of this summer's heat dome. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC. That's energy at work. Good evening. Currently above Highway 1 in Burnaby, where after clearing earlier problems, still a little slow uh, through the Burnaby Lake stretch between Kensington and Gallardi. Creating your dream kitchen, elevate your cooking and entertaining with Thermador's one, two free offers. Purchase a qualifying kitchen and get emerald dishwasher and more. Visit thermador.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway One in Burnaby. 
The B.C. Coroner Service has released staggering new numbers on how many people died during this past summer's record-breaking heat wave. Nearly 600 people lost their lives in the unprecedented heat. The majority of them were elderly and were alone when they died. Kylie Stanton reports. The umbrellas and sunscreen were no match for last summer's extreme heat. Hey, you're covered, bud. A stretch that not only broke temperature records, but also claimed the lives of at least 595 people. The highest death toll associated with a weather event ever recorded in B.C. But the impacts, as we all know, as we see by today's report, were tragic and the loss of life devastating. According to the BC Coroner's Service, the largest number of deaths, at least 526, were recorded from June 25th to July 1st. The three cities hardest hit were Vancouver with 99 deaths, Surrey with 67, and Burnaby with 63. People 70 years and older accounted for 69% of the deaths, with 96% of heat-related injuries occurring in a residential setting. The BC Coroner's Service expects to have completed individual investigations into each heat-related death by early next year. There are some more questions uh, we hope that the Coroner's Service is looking at. The Union Gospel Mission saw firsthand the impacts the heat had on the downtown east side population. Advocates hope to find out what role socioeconomic factors played in the number of deaths. Were these low-income neighborhoods where some of these folks might have passed away? Because it could paint a picture of whether or not some populations are being disproportionately affected by the heat. Lessons have been learned. The city of Vancouver says it's actively working to establish cooling centers and enhance communication around extreme heat events, with the majority of its response aimed at marginalized populations. I think this was a, a big wake-up call to, to everyone that this kind of event uh, is sort of opening up the, the, the reality of climate change. The findings of the death review are expected to help increase public safety going forward. Still, officials warn now is the time to prepare for future extreme weather events that are not only becoming more common, but potentially even more deadly. It's no longer a one in 1,000 year event. It's a one in one year event. Kylie Stanton, Global News. The B.C. government is officially asking Ottawa to decriminalize the personal possession of small amounts of some illicit drugs, saying it needs to be done to curb the devastating toll of the overdose crisis. But, as Ted Chernecki reports, not everyone thinks decriminalization is the right solution. It's been six long years since B.C. first declared the opioid crisis, and still sirens wail and people die, getting close to 8,000 now. As the coroner has noted, some days we are losing six people a day toxic drugs. During this pandemic, far more have died of the opioid crisis than COVID. There is no magic bullet to end the drug poisoning crisis, but decriminalizing people who use drugs is essential to stemming the tide of the toxic drug crisis. So as promised, BC Today unveiled its decriminalization exemption request to Ottawa for approval. It would apply to anyone 19 years and older, allow users to carry a cumulative 4.5 grams of drugs like heroin, fentanyl, powder or crack cocaine, methamphetamines, and so on, without being arrested. There's no mandatory referral to education or treatment if stopped. If one person today cannot be searched by the BPD for 4.5, that's a victory. But if they will be searched for 5.5, that's not a victory anymore. Police chiefs of B.C. have put out a statement that they're concerned with the 4.5 gram threshold limit being too high. 
but the whole idea of this still being a criminal matter is what concerns a former coroner. And it drives me crazy that people cannot get through their heads that this is a health issue. Plain and simple, a health issue. And yet we continually make it criminal. The Washington Post recently ran an opinion piece by J.J. McCulloch who argued Canada's drug crisis won't be solved by decriminalization. And the co-founder of Mom Stop the Harm agree, saying we have safe supply for other substances like alcohol, so why not addiction drugs? What we need to do is pivot and uh, work harder on safe supply. Decriminalization is, is a great step in the right direction, but it will not stop the death. It's been almost 20 years since Canada's first safe injection site was opened in the downtown east side, but the harm never stopped. There was the Clean Needles program a drug vending machine in the downtown east side, a new limited supply of safe heroin and other drugs, free naloxone kits to resuscitate the overdosed, a whole ministry created. And almost two decades later, we're about to set a new all-time high in drug-related deaths in B.C. in 2021. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Just ahead, a pet project to help stricken officers. Good dog. The pup spreading wellness to high-stress investigators. Also tonight, running to remember a man using his body to make a difference in the world. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Justin Trudeau addressed world leaders in Scotland for the 26th meeting of the UN's climate group. The Prime Minister says pollution pricing is key to getting greenhouse emissions down and boosting innovation. Canada is warming on average twice as quickly as the rest of the world. And in our north, it's three times quicker. The science is clear. We must do more and faster. Trudeau says Canada has also committed to capping oil and gas sector emissions to ensure the nation reaches net zero in 2050. Canada's emissions have risen more than 3% since 2016, the most of any G7 nation. This is the first time Trudeau has been at a COP meeting since the Paris Climate Agreement was signed after he became Prime Minister in 2015. Everybody keeping an eye on the weather. It was a beautiful night for Halloweening last night, although a little cool and crisp and uh, mm -hmm. probably a little cool standing out there tonight. Let's check in with Christy for the forecast. Thanks. Yeah, we were so lucky last night. I mean, yes, it was a little cool. The kids needed to bundle a little up a little bit more, but it was a stunning evening. At least no rainfall, and that was the case right across the province. Not the case now, as you can probably hear the rainfall coming down. We're right back into things. Before we get into details about this week, I just want to have a quick look back at October, just to give you some perspective. You're not surprised. Uh, we had 148.4 millimeters of rain, well above average, as you can see there, and temperatures were below average. Uh, but you know, keep in mind, uh, when we look at the overall uh, for all of Canada, most of Canada was above average. It was really just western sections below average. And uh, we're right back into that pattern. Very few zeros, as you can see here on the October calendar. Uh, 
and two big days, October 15th and 16th, if you remember that significant uh, atmospheric river that brought about 56 to 60 hours of relentless rainfall across the region. Tonight, we'll see 5 to 10 millimeters, of, oh, sorry, 5 to 15 millimeters overnight, but it is going to push out by the morning hours, and we may even see breaks of blue sky. Don't leave home without your rain jacket, though. The next wave will move on shore by the late afternoon, evening hours, and it is going to be relentless once again, one thing after another all week long. And when we look into next week, there is a chance, still days away, but we could see some significant snow even over lower elevations in the interior. So that's a heads up uh, towards our Monday, but still days away. Overnight, we're talking about lows of, oh, cold, well below zero across many of the interior regions. Wind chills down to minus eight and through Prince George. A possibility of some snow in through areas like Revelstoke, Golden, uh, Nelson, and Castle Gar. Light amounts, we're talking about one to two centimeters for you. Overall dry throughout the day and for our region, dry in the morning, but the rain will pick up across the Vancouver Island region in the afternoon and for our region late afternoon towards the evening hours. And as I mentioned, yes, one thing after another this week, keep your rain jackets handy, everyone. Tonight's Central Windows weather window, we look back at our stunning morning, which we had a lot of photos of the sunrise. So thank you to Colleen for this one. Gorgeous shot looking over Campbell River. And yes, we had a nice day. We're just back into the rainfall and now I guess. Oh, we can hear it now in the background. What a beautiful shot. Thanks very much, Christy. Vancouver police are opening up the conversation about mental health. Officers are at a higher risk of stress, anxiety and depression due to the trauma they encounter on the job. Kristen Robinson shows us how a new rookie recruit is helping members take care of their well-being before it becomes a problem. Oh, big sigh. Hey. Sleeping on the job is part of the gig for one of the VPD's newest recruits. You're a good dog. Zen is the first accredited facility dog dedicated to employee wellness in a BC police department. It's a very progressive opportunity to spread wellness uh, in the workplace. Born and bred for Pacific Assistance Dogs, Zen was climbing to the top at nine weeks old, a breakout student before he landed in advanced training. Learning the basics and mastering the art of his name before graduating to an office that houses high-stress investigative units. Hold them and pet them and it just helps to bring everything down. The struggle is real. Canadian police officers are disproportionately affected by mental illness. In 2018, the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health found 29% were in the clinical diagnostic range for PTSD. The lifetime prevalence rate for all Canadians, about 9%. Thanks, buddy. Zen has helped members decompress after seven critical incidents. He has a very low-key um, personality, uh, and it just helped to diffuse um, the entire event of, of that day for me. He's a good boy. He's also comforting civilian members on the front lines of every photograph or file that comes in. Just to bring down their, sorry, getting them, just to bring down their stress level and, uh, and um, help with the difficult things that happen in this job. He's really kind of breaking down barriers. People are willing to come and say hello and have a conversation. Donated by PADS, the Vancouver Police Foundation covers Zen's care. His calming canine contribution, priceless. 
He definitely is Zen. Kristen Robinson, Global News. I think it's a bubble wig. Okay. So cute. And uh, glad to see those officers getting the help. Bring Zen by here anytime. Yeah. Oh, we need it. All right, uh, Squire is here now. What do you have? That reminds me, I miss those old Member Tuesday pet days on the oh, noon adopt show. A yeah. Adopt a pet, yeah. Yeah, I miss those too. One day. Okay, so uh, Travis Hamanick returned to Canucks practice today, and Travis Green was asked, is he fully vaccinated? He'll be double vaccinated soon, and we're following the protocols. He played in Abbotsford on the weekend and says he feels ready to return to NHL duty. Good to know. Also coming up, a man training for an epic test of human endurance and why he says it's nothing compared to what our veterans are dealing with. All right, we are starting to get some answers in the ongoing Travic, uh, Travis Hamannick saga. Some. We think we know where this has gone, but the, uh, the main thing is he is back with the Vancouver Canucks, and because of that, the Canucks sent Jack Rathbone to Abbotsford today to make room for Travis Hamannick, who is back in the fold after missing the preseason and the start of the regular season for what was called personal reasons. Speculation was he had not been vaccinated. He didn't want to get into the exact reasons for his absence, but he did say he has had at least one shot. You know, I will say that that I am vaccinated and I'm following all the protocols right now that are in place until that process is done. Um, I'm here. I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm proud to be a Canuck. Um, This has been an extremely difficult time for me um, the last little while. A difficult time that Travis Hamannick would only call very personal, something the deeply religious Hamannick and his family have been dealing with throughout the pandemic. I'm just me. Um, you know, I, I, me and my family and I have been going through a lot. Um, you know, it's, you can probably hear it in my voice right now. This isn't an easy thing for me to be doing, um, but I understand it needs to be done. Everyone thinks they know what someone is going through, and, and maybe we're all very quick as, I don't know, a society to judge people. He'll be double vaccinated soon. He spoke. I know he spoke. He'll be double vaccinated soon. It's it's a personal matter. I don't need to get into dates and timelines. It'll be told as it comes. He'll be double vaccinated soon enough. It also sounds like the veteran defenseman will return to the Canucks lineup sooner than later. After practicing in Abbotsford last week and playing in one minor league game on the weekend, the big club wasted no time in recalling Hamannick. His teammates are happy to have him back in the fold. Same for the Canucks coaching staff, who get a top four D-man to once again pair alongside Quinn Hughes. Yeah, he looks sharp. I I thought he looked better today than I imagined he would. Uh, I think he's kept himself in phenomenal condition. Um, Looks leaner than maybe he has in the past. And uh, it'll be a day-to-day thing right now. We'll, We'll talk to him, see how he's feeling, see when he's ready. He might maybe plays tomorrow. You know, today was one of the best days I've had in a long time, being on the ice with the guys and, and uh, uh, being back out there. I mean, that's that's the finest finest part of my life, you know, is, uh, is being a hockey player, so I'm happy to be here right now. Jay Janower, Global Sports. 
Tyler Mott was back today as well at Canucks practice. We haven't seen him this season because of off-season neck surgery. We now know it had to do with relieving pressure on his upper vertebrae. I had a, a bulging disc uh, in my neck. I've um, been dealing with it on and off for a couple of years and uh, got to the point where it was time, uh, just symptomatically. I uh, wasn't able to, to do what I wanted to do and, and have the, the functionality that I needed to play. And um, unfortunately, again, um, it comes with a, a lengthy timeline. But um, yeah, shouldn't hopefully be too much longer if things go well. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman held a press conference today to discuss the mishandling of the Kyle Beach situation. He says he believes the $2 million fine he imposed on the Blackhawks was significant. He also defended not disciplining current Jets GM Kevin Dayoff, who at the time was a Blackhawks assistant GM because he said Dayoff had a limited role in Chicago's front office in 2010. And Players Association boss Donald Fear is asking the players to conduct an independent investigation into how the Players Association handled the same situation as well. Russell Wilson announced the pin has been taken out of his injured finger. In fact, he exactly said, no more pin, time to win. Seattle doesn't play again until November 14th against Green Bay. Now, does this pin removal mean he will be ready for the Green Bay game, Pete Carroll? Russ has been doing everything he can do as far as, you know, making sure that his hand strength is, is there and all of that. Um, so it... it but there is not a, there's not a timeline that they said that you know, it's going to take this many days before he throws this many balls and that kind of stuff. We don't know that. The best running back in the NFL might be done for the entire season. Tennessee's Derrick Henry is going to have surgery on his right foot tomorrow morning, and the Titans don't know if he'll be able to come back and play this year. Now, he was the leading candidate to be the NFL's MVP this season. The Titans are 6-2, and two, mainly because of his running. He leads the NFL with 937 yards rushing. He was also the NFL's leading rusher last year and in 2019 as well. He holds nine Titans team records. He is literally unstoppable at times. New Orleans Saints quarterback Jameis Winston out for the rest of the season after tearing his ACL on his left knee on this play against Tampa Bay yesterday. The Saints still won the game with backup quarterback Trevor Simeon. That was a horse collar tackle and uh, there was a penalty on it. Winston has thrown 14 touchdowns this season to just three interceptions, which is much better when compared to past seasons he has had. I want to show you this. Campbell against Charlton Southern. It's a college game, and this is Josh McNeely. What a run, except he makes one mistake. Can you tell what it is? Oh. It's called... No! Oh. Don't selly after only 99 yards. You've got to go right to the end zone. Celebrated too soon, dropped the ball. That's a touchback, no touchdown. <laughs> Never I was count your chickens. That was old it? saying works here too. Required viewing for any young athlete. But we've seen pros do it too. Yeah, that's true. It's incredible. That's true. Thanks, Squire. Up next, a BC man training for a double marathon and then some. How his physical challenge is helping to overcome a mental one. A Metro Vancouver man is taking on a massive challenge for a cause that's very close to his heart. He's running 100 kilometers in 15 hours. And as Rumina Dea reports, it all comes from his own personal struggles with mental health. D-Day fast approaching. 
Sachin Lati on the brink of embarking on his greatest challenge. I've hated it most of my life, actually. Running even 5K, a struggle for Lati when he started training a year ago. The CBSA officer, now ready for 100 kilometers, more than two marathons in under 15 hours. 100 kilometers ain't, is honestly nothing. It pales in comparison to the sacrifices they've made. Run to remember, November 7th will hit all the land border crossings from Chilliwack to YVR. Lati raising money for the Royal Canadian Legion BC Yukon Command. The GoFundMe goal, $10,000 for veterans' mental health. I feel 100% connected to the uh, mental health issue, absolutely. Connected because Lati has been in the trenches. This year I was officially diagnosed with uh, severe anxiety and depression. I kind of understand how, how some people might feel, especially if they've uh, had some significant traumas. When I heard what, uh, what Sachin was doing, uh, it, it just blew me away. Chair of the BC Yukon Command Legion Foundation says the money will help provide crucial equipment, counseling and service dogs for veterans suffering with PTSD. With somebody like Sachin putting, putting his money where his mouth is and his feet and whatnot, it's, it's amazing. It is amazing. We can't thank him enough, and, and I encourage everybody to support Sachin. Let's all get behind him. It's, it's a fantastic thing. Amazing man. Lati motivated by a rich family history of service, dating back to his great-grandfather, who served in World War I under the British Indian Army. The proud dad says he feels obligated to use his body to fight for veterans who are struggling to survive. They give me inspiration and they give me strength, and I'll most definitely be thinking about them on my run, for sure. Romina Dea, Global News. Good for him. I'm betting he meets that goal after mm -hmm. tonight. Mm -hmm. That's all the time we have. Thanks very much. Hope you stay out of the rain this evening, and we'll be back here tomorrow night for the News Hour. Have a great night. Good night, all.